Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and I am glad you're here. The Finding Refuge podcast emerged from a desire to have conversations about the intersection of grief and liberation. This podcast explores how we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times. It features guests from various backgrounds, lineages, and lived experiences. I hope you enjoy listening. Welcome back, friends. I am so excited about today's episode of Finding Refuge. And I want to share a little bit about the audio quality. I interviewed my friend Shireen Cawley. And Shireen was um, on a trip taking one of her children to college. So real life is happening. It's in session. And Shireen found the quietest place she could for our interview. But you might hear some background sounds um, as you listen to the interview. And I just think it's an opportunity to remember life is always in session and there are many moving parts. And Shireen was parenting, which she will talk a little bit about during her interview. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Shireen. Um, who I actually got to meet in person this past summer in Bar Harbor, Maine. But we've been in each other's lives for a while on the internet and social media, and Shireen has been in many of my offerings. So Shireen Colley is a national board-certified health and wellness coach, the founder of The Nurtured Life, the associate director of the Whole Health Center in Bar Harbor, Maine, and a PhD student working towards her doctorate of ministry with a focus on social transformation from United Theological Seminary, Twin Cities. Shireen lives with her husband, mother, and children on the coast of Maine. Shireen founded The Nurtured Life in 2003, a Maryland-based wellness service to build mindful life practices into everyday living. As a mother and connected community member with an academic background in education, she recognized the need for holistic early childhood education and designed the nurtured life to offer guidance to families in communication, physiological awareness, natural world connection, and whole food sustenance. In 2008, Shireen completed a 200-hour yoga teacher training with Diane Finlayson, and in 2009, a certificate in pregnancy yoga to integrate yoga practices into family care. The role of the nurtured life naturally broadened to become a nexus for practical and emotional family support with the launch of a Whole Foods purchasing cooperative, a network of peer support, and coaching services for parents and families. As someone who has struggled throughout her life with dyslexia, she began to recognize how her neurodivergent sensitivities help her to tune into her internal and external environments, which not only allow her to experience her spirituality more fully, but also to guide others in healing practices that are responsive to mind and body. In 2018, Shireen completed a Master 
of Arts in Health and Wellness Coaching from Maryland University of Integrative Health and formally became The Nurtured Life has evolved as a wellness coaching service for clients across the country and includes workshops on attuning to our inner and outer realities to build supportive, sustainable lifestyles. Shireen's academic research has examined the effects of hegemonic white patriarchy on spiritual and human development. As an American and woman of Iranian heritage, she recognizes both socially and personally the harm caused by systems of oppression and the need to actively cultivate a culture of well-being. She continues to combine her knowledge in health, coaching, peace studies, and wisdom traditions to offer coaching around barriers to peace, equity, and social justice. I will say I recorded this interview um, prior to um, all that is going on in Iran at this time and the murder of the young woman. Um, and so Shireen and I did not touch on that, even though she is of Iranian heritage. I just wanted you all to know why we didn't talk about it. If I had interviewed her um, today or in a week, of course, we would have centered it and talked about it. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode. Shireen, it's so nice to see you. I can see you. The listeners cannot. And so lovely to have you um, be a guest on Finding Refuge on the podcast. So thank you for saying yes to this opportunity. Well, thank you for inviting me. I've been thanking you for inviting me all week, actually. And I keep thinking about how, um, you know, I think of people, it's nice to have people that are anchors, people that, you know, you respect and trust so that when you're feeling a little wobbly, you can uh, look to them and you are one of those people for me. So um, it feels really sweet to be here. And I really um, appreciate the invitation. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for, for sharing that and, and saying that about me. And I find that groundedness through um, your writing and your post on social media. And of course have met you now in person. I don't remember the first time we met I know it was online, but I don't remember which offering because there were so many offerings. And I know that you had been following my work mm-hmm. before I even probably saw you in a in a virtual room, in a Zoom room for an offering. Um, but I just don't remember which which one. But I know we were in a in a an affinity space together that I led and since then have been in many, many <laughs> Zoom rooms and <laughs> in physical space together as well. So I'd love for you to share some about who you are and which is a big question, actually, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you want to name about who you are, how you're showing up, what's present for you at this time, the work that you do in the world. I do find introducing myself to be a little difficult, but challenge, it's a good challenge. So professionally, I can say that um, I'm a board certified health and wellness coach And my um, area of focus is uh, collective and spiritual well-being. So um, in the wheel of wellness and health, I, you know, focus on the whole being, but my specialty and my area of interest is in um, how we can be well together, how we can be collectively well, how we can have well culture and, um, 
you know, how we as individuals affect culture and how culture affects us. Um, I'm the associate director of a small nonprofit in Bar Harbor, where we um, were honored to have you. And in addition to that, I have recently been accepted into a doctoral program. It's a um, doctor of ministry and social transformation program. Um, I am I am not affiliated with any religion, and I was actually accepted with equivalency to the program um, because I'm not a ordained minister, and and it was really exciting for me to be accepted because I've been trying to do this work at a PhD level and not not been accepted in the past, and it's um it's really special to be seen for the kind of work I'm doing in this program, accepting me in that way. Um, and it means that I get to, I, I get the feeling it means <laughs> that I get to do um, some of the work that I've been wanting to do in a deeper way. Hopefully it gives me access to some of the rooms that I've not had access to in the past. So we will see, it's gonna be a couple of years in the making, like I said, we just mm-hmm. started. But professionally speaking, that's sort of the general, the general story of who I am at this time. Thank you for, for sharing that and congratulations on being accepted to the program and beginning that journey. In listening to you share about your professional life, which of course includes the personal and, and values and often work as an expression of, of what we value and the world we want to create. I was sort of thinking that I'm I'm curious to know how you would answer the question of who you are outside of that, your profession, which again, sort of crosses over, but it made, it sort of left me being like, oh, what else would you say about who you are at this time, given the work you're doing, given the person you are, given how you live your life and ways of being you practice? Is there anything you would want to say about who you are in response to that question? I actually really appreciate that question a lot. So I think all of those titles would probably be different, but the work would be very much the same. Um, I've actually worked really hard to maintain a life that uh, I always like to say, like, I like to pretend I don't work. So basically those titles that I mentioned are ways that I've found in our current culture to supply a livelihood to the work. Mm -hmm. Um, But basically I wake up every morning to do what I do. Um, And part of what's led me to that is the natural tendency to nurture and tend. Um, So I think my family would probably be the first thing that I would mention aside from my um, professional work. Um, that I'm a mother, wife, daughter, um, friend, but within my actual household, a mother, wife, and daughter, I live in a multi-generational household and I have multiple children. My stepdaughter is 26 and my youngest is 10. And they've, um, my three um, birth children have all been homeschooled and have all worked with me in whatever work I've done. Um, for the last 20 years. So um, 
that's been a challenge, but it's also been a blessing to be able to see like where barriers are to, um, to families and accessing work and accessing care and providing what children need to grow, um, which definitely was a major part of informing my work. That's where it's where my work started was with children and families. Um, and basically I was like, let's just stick with them because the kids are so much um, easier to reach and they have um, so many less uh, questions about, they have so many more questions, but less questions about why they should change or why they should be um, open to change. Um, and I felt like if we just focused on them, you know, it takes 20 years to raise a child and we could just focus on children. And that's like just a couple of generations, we'd be good. And as I did that work and worked more and more with families, you know, it just became clear that there was a lot of work to do with adults too, and, and adults in being able to facilitate and create that environment so that children and the next generation could grow up um, in hopefully safer, less complicated spaces. Um, and so that being in my community in that way led to me being called into more um, intimate parts of people's lives, uh, which I wanted to take responsibility for in the sense that I wanted to make sure I had the training that if I'm being called into people's lives in places that was that were um, really sensitive to them, I wanted to make sure that I could meet them there and provide what they were seeking. Um, so that led to me doing um, some of the health and wellness coaching work and a lot of study of integrative health practices and wisdom traditions. And, you know, this is the first time, this current work that I'm doing is the first time that I get to actually address the ministry pastoral care aspect of the work that I do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's just what I do. Like, <laughs> that's the thing. You don't have a congregation. I just have a community. <laughs> So, yeah, I, that's that, just hearing that I don't have a congregation. I have a community and I was like, well, yeah, the way you work in community can in a healthy faith context can mirror a congregation in that way. I mean, one where you're talking about power and you're building together and you're collaborating, not where it's power over. That's why I'm saying it that way. Yeah. To be formally called is something that has risen out of the tradition of being informally called. So, mm. um, you know, in most people reach out for who they need. And um, part of the reason that I wanted to do this PhD program is that if you're not part of a um, organized faith, you don't necessarily have someone to call in some of the more complex conflicts or transitions or trauma or grief that we're experiencing. Um, and so a lot of the questions that people are asking right now, if they are not part of an organized religion um, with an organized framework on how to process uh, a lot of these emotions that we're having, there's nobody to call. And it's different than like clinical psychology. So a lot of the, the questions that we're having or the struggles that we're having are perfectly healthy reasonable and expected struggles with 
you know, anxiety or stress and some of the social, economic, ecological upheaval that we are either already experiencing or anticipate experiencing. I appreciate you naming that because you're right. So often, if people are not part of an an organized religion or connected to an organized faith tradition, then you're right. They don't have someone to call. And in, in those spaces, often there's kind of a protocol for how to do that, which may not match how people are, what they need, or um, how community works. And I would I would love to hear, because you mentioned like we are, I always say moment, but we're in a time, it's not a moment where you're right, there is a lot of grief. Um, I think more people are talking about grief and collective grief, what we're moving through at this time. There's a level of uncertainty that's bumping up against people's desire to have things go back to normal in quotes, like whatever that even means. There's like this, like, can we get back to what we knew? There's that level. And then for some, there's like, can we get back to normal? Those feel different to me. Can I get back to my routine where I can like plan and expect it to work out is different than the horrific things that were happening before that weren't actually normal in any way, but were for some because they weren't awake to how horrific the multiple pandemics were prior to COVID-19. And I wonder if you could share some about how you're digesting this, how you are responding to the time we're in right now, what we're living through and what you're noticing, like what you know, emotions or sensations or patterns are showing up for you in response to what's present for us at this time. One thing that comes to mind is that, I mean, I kind of feel like we've been waiting for this time Um, or now I say waiting, but maybe preparing. I feel like my whole life has been a series of questions and also seeking for answers as to um, how we tend to us now and how we address the questions that are coming up. And like, this definitely doesn't feel like anything new for me. Like those, that part feels, I I, I would say actually the beginning of the pandemic, I I thought found this really interesting. The beginning of the pandemic actually was just a relief in some ways in the sense that like, Everyone was so raw and so even people that had different opinions or, you know, it was like, it was impossible to just be, it was impossible to just answer that question. How are you? Okay. People were answering the question and were together in, in their awareness that they weren't okay. And that gave us access to new ways of being together, which some of us, decided to take as a you know opportunity and and some of us did not but for that short there was a short period of time where it felt like like a little bit of of a relief that we weren't hiding any we weren't hiding that <laughs> everyone wasn't okay and so like those kinds of in that regard I feel like what I'm seeing now or what I'm going through personally right now is an opportunity to engage with my practice and my beliefs to see like, is it true? Does it work? You know, I ask people, I'm asking my community to like practice 
being uncomfortable, to practice staying in relationship when it hurts, and to also practice being aware of when it hurts too much and needing to pull back. And in asking people to do all of those things. Yeah, I've been asking my community to to stay in, in discomfort or to even engage discomfort and basically to stay in relationship when it's uncomfortable or even when it hurts and also learn and practice figuring out when that's not okay or when it hurts too much. But like, we can't, we can't understand that if we're not, we can't learn when it hurts too much if we're not engaging in, in the process of accepting that harm happens. And that's a whole lot of practice that most of us aren't familiar with. So, you know, this last couple of years specifically um, has been an opportunity to engage in that and say like, what are the mechanisms? How does that work? And how am, how am I doing that? How am I working with those mechanisms so that I can better engage in relationship? So I think you were asking like, what am I experiencing right now? Um, that mm-hmm. is like, for me, that's what my practice is right now. My practice is um, basically going deeper into those spaces within myself to see what's there and how do we do that? And what can I find out about that process that I can share if I'm going to be asking other people to engage in that way? So that's one of the things, one of the areas I've spent the most time in practice for myself over the, especially I would say actually in the last year, I think that there was more engagement during the beginning of the pandemic and with the election. And as folks started to be less engaged, it was like a, a place of curiosity for me. Why is that happening? How do we stay engaged? And that's really at the, the foundation of my academic questions. My spiritual academic questions is like, we're all in different stages of change and transformation, but how those of us that are in stages that are more ready for action, how do we prep our environment, our cultural environment, so that it facilitates easier adaption to change or even awareness of change and, and helps other people along those stages? Because like change is happening. And we can control some of the change and some of the change we can't control. So how do we address that as a culture in a, in a way that's well versus some of the ways that we are more conditioned to address things, which don't facilitate that same cultural well-being. I appreciate just everything you shared about how you're feeling and what you're moving through and what you're also inviting community into to practice related to transformation and and what you named about how we can't know how to right we can't know how to move through the level of of hurt or sort of wounds that are that are present unless we're like with them we can't or we're facing the truth of what is actually happening there's it's like tr- you know skill building in real time is what i think you're t- you're naming and that we can like pontificate about the things we could do to respond to any of the emotions we've named, like sadness and grief and overwhelm and uncertainty. But we actually have to face the uncertainty and the grief and the overwhelm and the not knowing to move through it. There isn't another way. 
that I'm aware of or another skill we can employ that bypasses the experience we're having. Like that doesn't, doesn't work. That's not what healing is. Yeah. I feel like my responsibility. So like last week in, in one of our first questions that we were asked at school was, um, it was about our calling. I guess it, it wasn't though, like, what is your calling? It was like, what is the call that you hear? What calls you? And it was a different way of posing the question, which was really valuable to me because, you know, what prompts me is love. What prompts me is that like inexhaustible lovingness. That's what, that's what resources me. But asking the question in that way, like what calls me, it was very clear, like pain. That's what calls me. Like that's what is asking, right? Like that's the, that's the call I hear is that pain that we have that individual or cultural hurt. And even if we're talking about joy, it's that like, even when joy calls me, it's the, the call to, to be there in joy so that it doesn't hurt. Right. So that it, because it, it's painful to be unseen in your joy. It's painful to not be delighted in as much as it is painful to have other experiences, which we more associate with pain. So like even the joyousness of like, I'm an extremely celebratory person. And even in those moments, that call is to, to be there and be present so that it doesn't hurt. And so that we can enjoy the joy. So I feel like that, that call, um, of what is hurting for me, the call that I hear is that that separation, that that separation from self, the separation from each other, the severance from nature, from whatever we associate with the divine. And and I guess this is where like this is where I think our work intersects a lot is that like that aspect of finding refuge, that aspect of people talk all the time about this world that we would like to live in. And I talk to people about it and we have this beautiful view of that world. And yet so many of us, even those of us that want to live in that world are just not prepared for that. We're not like physiologically prepared to cooperate, to see, to live in loving relationship, to live in reciprocity and it hurts. So when it comes to like, finding refuge to me, it's like, well, how do we get out of our heads with the conversation and instead start to like craft environments or craft our culture to be supportive of all that we're trying to be and that holding us, right? That ability to hold us when it hurts, but also when it's like time for celebration. And so that's why it's kind of hard to say what I do. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. it's kind of all over the place, but it's just a lot of curious questions about who we are, how dominant culture has affected even our perception of who we are and our perception of our capacity as humans. And I think that's really like that's to me, that's the really exciting question. And that's really where I like want to be spending time both in research and with people is like, you know, we have this story of 
what it's like to be human. And almost all of that story is based on some really recent history when you talk about all of human existence and some really specific history on the planet, like some some very specific cultural history is informing us about what we are capable of and what is possible. And I don't think that story is true. I think we're capable of a lot more than that. And I think that like a lot of what we fear we aren't, we are. And if we could work with some of these other questions, some of these other pieces that are hurting, that we would be able to engage each other eventually (laughs) Um, in a much more loving way. And like, wow, then what would we be able to do? To me, it's like that piece that like the coin is always flipping from like grief to joy, grief to joy. It's like, wow, that's really tender. But at the same time, it takes us back around in that, in that circle. It feels poignant. It feels tender. It feels like a place to investigate <laughs> what's happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way you just spoke about that, this moment, uh, the misperception about who we are, I would say, and the, the deny, like the conditioning around not actually embracing the parts of who we are that cause harm. You didn't say that, but I heard that in there. You did say something like that about that, Mm -hmm. that I was like, oh yeah, the the parts we don't want to look at Mm -hmm. the misperception around who we are individually and collectively and where we are and what we're basing our experience on. It's so it is what you said is poignant for sure. And, and painful and beautiful, I would say too. And it made me think about the space that I'm in as I hold space of like, do we need to remember? And it's not an either or like, have we forgotten? And do we need to remember who we are or do we have to learn about who we want to be? And I'm not, my brain's like, I don't, maybe we're doing both at the same time. I don't know, but I think I've, I've shared that in response to folks in spaces who are like, feeling like we can't ever get to this loving place that you described where we actually treat each other and the planet in a different way, right? When we actually get to the truth of who we are, the people are like, that's, I I don't know if that's, that's happening because we're so, we've been so conditioned to operate in these different ways we are that are causing harm to us and the planet. And so I, I was sort of just in response to what you shared thinking about, do we need to remember, like, was there a point in time where we were in that loving place like was humanity ever in that loving place and do we need to remember or are we like talking about creating something completely new that's and it's not a binary though yeah i mean it's kind of like that coin flipping around like of course we're evolving and we would we're going to evolve one direction or another or lots of directions but you know what i mean like yes we're going to evolve forward and I've noticed that a lot of times when we're talking in wisdom traditions or religion or like circles of mindfulness, we talk a lot about like transcending our humanity to be able to be capable of engaging in a more gentle and empathetic way. And my experience is that that's not 
what's necessary that we're wired to to do that and research shows that we're wired to do that research on neurobiology research on indigenous cultures around the world research on cultures that are and religions and spiritual traditions that are closer to to nature and therefore in being closer to nature closer to the feelings that are associated with being human and so yeah my experience in working with children is not that um like they don't need to transcend their humanity they do a great job especially if they're held in an environment that lets them do that so my direct experience both like just observing the world being in my body and then observing the community that I've been invited into in all the different settings is that you know when we have that attachment to ourselves to each other to the earth mm-hmm. to the divine a lot of these issues that we consider like necessary to transcend are just not as big of an issue anymore. And I think a lot of the questions that come up about how we engage with each other socially and with social justice come down to this severance of self and severance from community. It's like, yeah, it's very hard to recognize the humanity in each other if we're not recognizing it as individuals. And that seems like a really important aspect of the work that we need to be doing is like engaging those, you know, our sensory experiences. And like, we've definitely, I think, collectively been talking a lot more about embodiment. And with embodiment, there's also the whole like physiological response. And that's like, it's not just inside of our bodies, it's with each other and and beyond. So there's just so much there for us to be looking at um, and exploring together to find ways forward. And yeah, I think that sometimes we're just, we don't yet have the glasses on to see that like we could use, we could use these tools. Um, and some of us have been told that we can't use those tools <laughs> or that, um, you know, some of us have been, some of us don't, feel access to that anymore. I've definitely over the years worked with people that like, yeah, didn't feel feelings in their bodies. And that was a surprise for them. So being able to, to work with all of that feels really, really, really important to me. What you just named about embodiment made me think about my friend Renee Sills, who is an amazing human activist, astrologer, embodied astrology is part of Renee's work. And I was talking with Renee once and Renee is a somatic experience facilitator, group holder, and works a lot with embodiment through that. And Renee was talking about how in the work that that they've done, often they will guide people to the to move into the sort of dominant conditioned pattern before they invite people to shift out of that pattern. It's like recognizing what is there. And when you named, like I've worked with people who didn't, they didn't feel their feelings, right? That the, that's the 
the dominant pattern. I'm not saying that's natural to who they are. I'm saying like, it's likely they were conditioned for some reason, probably a coping skill and for their own safety at the time to not feel what was, was going on. And then that became a pattern. And it's, it's making me think about this remembering or like, or are we creating something completely different? Mm -hmm. And it's neither of those things. I mean, it's, it's, it's both. Mm -hmm. Um, But thinking about that work around, we have to recognize the dominant patterns to be able to shift out of them into this more loving place where we recognize our humanity and that it's connected to, to our shared humanity. There's, there's no disconnection. And that in what you said, we can't, in spiritual communities, you're right. Many of us may have been taught to sort of transcend, like enlightenment is transcending the human condition. Well, awesome, but we're in human bodies. <laughs> like, so isn't part of the work coming back into the body and to notice what's going on so that we can notice the dominant patterns and then shift it. And I just, I love what you said about children. Like if they're, if they're in an environment where they do not have to transcend their human condition, like what is happening and their rage can be held as their joy can be held and they, their questions can be answered and they can express and explore, right? Whatever it is they need to. And they do this in my sort of observation of, of children and in, in relationship with them, they, it depends on the environment they're in, but when they're in this kind of environment, we're talking about often feel like they can explore and express in quite a different way that isn't being stifled by adults, dominant patterns around. Don't do this. Don't say that dress this way. So I just think it's so powerful, like what we can learn from embodiment to your point and from holding all of the different things that come up in this embodied human experience. I think we need to have a fuller picture, like we collectively, like our story, right? That needs to be a fuller picture of like what evolutionary life ways are, like which ones have been damaged. Where are they? What are they? We can't really, like here we're we're like trying to envision a new future, or just envision the future. And how can we really do that from a place with a solid foundation if we don't have a fuller story about what we already have access to, what we where we've already been? If we don't fully understand our place <laughs> amongst each other and the earth, like feels like we might be getting ahead of ourselves, you know, and trying to change all these systems, which definitely need our attention. I want some of our attention to be on figuring out foundationally what we already have access to as our human inheritance. What do we have to offer to that? And maybe, possibly, (laughs) we have access to some really amazing tools that will allow us to do that work in a way that is still really challenging, but more possible has more, um, more oxygen. Mm -hmm. What you described is making me think about remembering and awareness in the way we're talking about, like, what do we have access to right now in a culture? And I'm talking about dominant culture, but I'm also talking about reactivity. Um, so in this, I think sometimes I think often actually as people are trying to, and especially those more proximal to power, trying to figure out what their role should be based on what they're responsible for, 
if we're thinking about the harm that people have experienced and the planet is experiencing, and I'm res- we're all responsible in some way mm. for what's going on, but that there's this like reactivity and this urgency and this discomfort that then drives people to take action without actually pausing mm-hmm. long enough to to assess what's needed to ask, what's needed to check in with themselves, to notice what they have access to. And that way it feels like it's like performativity when people, or it's it's not coming from an authentic place. It's coming from a reactive place. And that isn't going to dismantle the the systems, right? It's actually going to just replicate the same toxic patterns that are embodied in, in these systems that we're talking about where there's an imbalance of power and abuse of power and a lack of accountability. And what I hear you calling people into is like, you have to do the work personally and in community too, um, in addition to calling out corporation, whatever people may be doing, right? To to name these toxic patterns that are that are in systems that we also need to do the work. And that feels like we need to do the the sort of personal communal work, the remembering, the dreaming practice, that kind of work, the the how have we learned what what have we learned about moving away from our humanity? Um, and what does that create? Like what kind of pain does that create for um ourselves and for for one another, right? Those questions feel and that work feels essential. And that to me speaks to wholeness too, and what you were naming about the story, like there has to be a fuller story to this. Mm-hmm. How can we yeah. be whole as we do this work or practice together or are in community together or trying to figure out how to reckon with this human condition together? Like how mm-hmm. can we be in our wholeness? Yeah. Yeah. And and as we're like trying to do this really big work, it takes a whole lot of moral courage and a whole lot of persistence and emotional integrity. And I'm actually not worried about the future. I feel I trust us. I have faith in us. But the thing that worries me is that like, I want us to do that. I, if we're gonna, if we're really going to imagine new ways of being together, then I want us to be honest and I want us to prepare ourselves so that we can go into that from a place where, where we can like we have the capacity to actually do it and that we can all trust ourselves to like, to do that work and to take care of each other. I mean, that would be, wow. Right. Like what kind of refuge would that be <laughs> to know that, that we're all taken care of, that we can trust each other to take care of each other. And how could we possibly, how can we get there? So that's the work I want to do. <laughs> that's where I want to be is with those questions and with people like in the spaces that we've been in together where people are, are asking how to stay and how to do that work together. Well, I'm glad we are in relationship with one another mm-hmm. and in community and on the path, the expansive path together and <laughs> um, visioning and dreaming in the way you just described. And recently I saw a post about your work and how you don't turn people away. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if you'd want to take a minute to say something about the work you do and and what it means about not turning anyone away means you need support. And so really I'm asking, Mm -hmm. how can we support you Mm -hmm. so that you can do the powerful work you're doing? 
Thank you. Yeah, it's a real point of like um, positive, humble pride for me that no one has not been able to work with me because they, due to cost, you know, with health and wellness coaching, which is the majority of income that I make comes from coaching one-on-one clients. That's the first step is always talking about finances and making sure that it's sustainable for the person that's doing the work and having that conversation about it being reciprocal and making sure that it's balanced and even because that lays the foundation for all of the rest of the work that we're going to do. And that's hard. It's hard to do that in the world that we live in. It's very hard to do that um, as a coach, really, because it's different than a lot of coaches and what we're familiar with. So because of that, I really kind of diversify the types of offerings that I have so that people can both support me and also like, and the work and the other people that are doing that work, um, as well as have their needs met. So there's obviously coaching one-on-one with me, which no matter what anybody comes, whatever issue they bring, this spiritual stuff always comes up. And then um, I have a, a book that I have written, a very small book that touches on some of these questions that is for pre-order on my website. And then I have seasonal free offering that talks about academic work that I'm doing. So I release some of that academic work to that. And it's a print seasonal offering. And there's also people that just want to give to the research or give to, to scholarships so that people can access coaching. And that's also on my website under offerings if, if anybody just wants to be helpful <laughs> to me or um, the community of people that are you know seeking these answers. Thank you for sharing about having been able to work with people and make space for that and the reality of like needing support from community to, to be in this practice of not turning folks away who, who want to be engaged with you in this way and, and do the work. And so I would encourage people listening to, and I'll again, put your website in the show notes to, um, and the offerings as well, where people can just give so that they can support you and also learn about your, your offerings, the things you just named. So folks feel moved to do that. I would encourage that and really want to thank you for your friendship and your wisdom and words and magic. Um, Thank you for spending this time with me today. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Can't wait to see you again sometime soon. Me too. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Finding Refuge. If you are enjoying the podcast, I encourage you to share it with friends and family members and to rate it on iTunes. In addition to sharing about this podcast, you can support my work in the world by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find me there as Michelle C. Johnson, Skill in Action, Yoga and Social Justice. I offer monthly movement and meditation practices, as well as a monthly divination reading. Lastly, I want to share that I have a new book coming out in April of 2023. We Heal Together, 
rituals and practices for building community and connection. It is currently available for pre-order and you can go to the Penguin Random House website, search Michelle Johnson or We Heal Together and pre-order my book. There are several spaces you can pre-order it from. Thank you so much and take care.